Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, my name is Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. And alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all-in family ministry. I am passionate about making Christ and His church famous, and I want to welcome you to Step Into Scripture. This is a podcast designed to point people to King Jesus, and we are starting off in doing that by encouraging our listeners and our viewers to commit yourself to reading the entire Word of God, Genesis to Revelation. My friend Stacy and I spent some time polling women in our church and asking them the question, what's stopping you from that? What objections have you heard or even used as to why you don't need to read the whole Bible? And here in season one, we're answering those objections using Scripture. So, so far, we've taken on the objections. It's an impossible feat to read and understand the whole thing. I don't have time. I prefer topical studies over reading the entire text. It feels monotonous to read the whole Bible. The Bible was written by man. And that was a shift for us because we had been looking at me problems, reasons I don't want to, I can't. And the objection we're taking on today, like the one we did last week, that shifted to a text problem. It was written by man. Right. That's in the same vein that we're heading down this week. We're also looking at another objection that is a text problem, and it's that the Bible is filled with contradictions. So that's what we want to look at today. Stacy, if you don't mind, introduce yourself and get us started on this path. Okay, great. So like she said, my name is Stacy Vines. Tina and I have been stepping through scripture for years now. I'm thrilled to be a part of this podcast. I am also a mom of four. My husband and I work together here in our local community. We have a couple small businesses and nonprofits. And so um, I'm super passionate about the good things I find about God in his word, specifically what I find when I read it from start to finish. It's a banner that we've been flying together for a couple of years. So very fitting. We're stepping into scripture. Um, And this week we're going to unpack and dismantle using scripture, the objection that the Bible contradicts itself. So like Tina said, similar to the objection we talked about last week, this objection really strikes at the authority of the text itself. Um, And I think that we're going to unpack it really well, go through why some of these contradictions are found, and even uh, walk through some specific and common contradictions that people tend to land on when they think they found a contradiction. But to get us started, we're going to recall a passage that we talked about last week in the objection that it was written by man. So we're just going to recall from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, and I'll read it for you. It says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if you remember last week, uh, we talked about how, yes, it may have been written down by man, but it was sourced by the Holy Spirit. They were carried along, as Peter calls it. And one thing that we need to point out as we are jumping into this objection is exactly what Peter said. He says, it's not their own interpretation of things. This, This text, this book, cover to cover, is not the same as if I had an idea and so I put it down on paper and said, this is a great moral code to live by. You should follow this for the next thousands of generations. Yeah, 
It was their account of what they witnessed God do through and for his people and for all of humanity. And that is why it is sourced in the Holy Spirit carried along. They wrote down what they saw. It's accounts and events that they witnessed. But I think a major problem today that can cause people to perceive contradictions where they actually don't exist, which is in God's word, is that they find these contradictions where they do exist. Yeah. And that's in man's word, right? right? We talked a lot about that last week, written by man, um, really striking, really getting down to the root of that being, I don't want to submit to another person's thought. And so in the contradictions that we see today, maybe in the presentation of the Bible, there may be true contradictions in what a flawed, finite human being is presenting, whether intentional or accidental. Yeah. There could be some some serious consequences. I think uh, today, when we hear things like, "I've had a new revelation," yes, uh, there was a very popular movement not not long ago of this new idea of what the Ten Commandments actually were. Wow! So they, and, you know, instead of them being actually God's commands, they were um, items to influence you. They were ideals. They were illustrations. They were yeah. concepts. They were promises. Even um, that was a new revelation uh, that presented a contradiction because that's not what the Bible says they are and yeah. what they were for. Um, so if you hear that. We would encourage you to be a Berean. And what do we mean by that? Um, Acts chapter 17, Paul writes this on his secondary mission, on his second missionary journey. He says, uh, Acts 17, 10 to 12, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of the believers believed, as did also the number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. That's what it means to be a Berean. Hear what you hear right? Consume the word of God from many avenues. That's one of the calls we're asking you to do using this tool specifically, step into scripture, consume the word of God, sit under the word of God, but examine the scriptures day and night to see if what you've heard, what you've been taught and told is true. Every word you hear someone speak that they claim comes from God's word must be weighed against God's word. Paul gives us this warning. He says, I am astonished. He's speaking to the church in Galatia. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. It's a big call here. As we have already said, he continues on. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. That's a hefty call. That is a hefty call. So absolutely, this misconception, this idea that the Bible is filled with contradictions often comes from people's misinterpretation Mm -hmm. of Scripture, um, whether intentional or unintentional. And I think a place that these misinterpretations can easily arise is when people lack understanding about the Old Testament shadows Mm -hmm. that lead us to new covenant realities. Yeah. 
And so they see a contradiction rather than a fulfillment. And Jesus Christ himself dealt with this misunderstanding sure. during his ministry on earth. He had to explain that he was not coming to do away with the laws of God, but that he was coming to fulfill the promises of God. And that's what he meant when he said in Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus here in this Sermon on the Mount is not doing away with the law. He's fulfilling the law, and he's actually elevating the law by raising the bar. Sure. That's what Jesus is doing when he's making these statements in this Matthew 5 through 7 sermon about you've heard it said, but I tell you. That but is not contradictory. Mm -hmm. He's elevating here. He's saying not only is it wrong to murder, it's wrong to harbor bitterness against another person. Not only is it wrong to commit adultery like the law dictated, it's wrong to even look at someone lustfully and to have those thoughts in your heart. So for this episode, so that we can better understand these shadows and fulfillments that are often misunderstood or even misrepresented mm -hmm. as contradictions in the Bible, what we're going to do is look at two of these areas where very often contradiction is perceived, sure. and we're going to look at what the Old Testament says and then how it's fulfilled in the New Testament. And I want to just preface this by saying if we ever perceive a discrepancy that looks like a contradiction in Scripture, we're going to have to turn that around and realize that's a misperception on our part. The Bible is our source of absolute truth. Yeah. And so sometimes our perspective or our understanding needs to shift, but it is not God's Word that's the problem. Mm -hmm. It truly is still a me problem. Right. The objection is still an issue with what we prefer, what we right. want, and really a reason to excuse ourselves from the task. That's right. That's right. So the two examples we want to look at today of places where someone might perceive a contradiction is in the teachings on sin and sacrifice in the Bible, and then on the teachings about grace and works in the Bible. Yeah. So Stacy, you kick us off. Okay, great. So just so we all are on the same path of what we're doing, we're looking at these objections that are, or these uh, supposed contradictions that are kind of common mm -hmm. um, in our modern Western Christianity or in those who 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 feel they don't they don't quite align and yes. this goes and this goes to the thought of well see there's all this these offerings and all of these things so why did Jesus have to do this if that didn't take away that why do I need right. to do this and they use pieces of this sin and sacrifice objection of or what they feel is a contradiction to excuse themselves from really digging in. Yes. So we're going to start in the Old Testament. And when we do, um, I think it's important for us as, as believers and as readers or those who are trying this for the very first time to identify who we are in, on this, in this path. We are traveling into ancient culture when yes. we read the Old Testament. So if you're going to go backpacking through Europe or you're going to go visit Egypt or you're going to Australia, you're going to have to learn a lot about the culture, the cities yes. in which you're going. You're going to have to get some context. We're doing the same thing as we read the Old Testament. Just put yourself in the seat of I am a traveler to history. I'm a tourist in this town as yes. you read through it. So we're going to start in the Old Testament 
and we're going to take a look at the Old Covenant. Um, the book of Exodus, it ends with this glory moment where God's presence is filling the tabernacle, and yet the people are sinful. And how can a God, a holy God, dwell with an unrighteous, disobedient people group who he loves, who he wants to be with? Um, the problem is answered in the very next next book, the book of Leviticus, and it's where we see how a flawed people, a fallen people, can come into fellowship with a holy, perfect God. So Leviticus introduces us to different kinds of remedies to our problem. Yes. Right? Our sin problem that separates us from God. These remedies come from God. They're his idea. Yep. They're a gift to us, and they're going to be fulfilled in the New Testament. But starting right here, we see burnt offerings, grain offerings, fellowship, and sin offerings. And we're going to read just from Leviticus chapter 4, verse 35, real quick. It says, They shall remove all the fat, just as the fat is removed from the lamb of the fellowship offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the food offerings presented to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them for their sins that they have committed, and they will be forgiven. So there in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus is our answer, a beginning remedy to this sin problem of mankind who wants to be in fellowship with God. So here's our prescription. Here's how you do it. Here's how you walk it out. Here's these offerings. You got to have a priest, and this is what you do, and your sins will be forgiven. Yes. Why then is the question, why did Jesus have to come after all, right. why did we need a savior? Didn't the law, didn't Leviticus give us this path? Hebrews chapter 10, specifically verse 4, even sounds like it's contradicting the book of Leviticus when it says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Mm. So is scripture contradicting itself? Is it so that if, if the priest could go in and offer this sacrifice and give blood on this altar, why then do I have to accept Jesus as my sacrifice and my Savior, whose blood is supposed to cleanse me of my sin? It's not a contradiction. It's a total fulfillment. Right. It was his idea, and then he perfected it yes. with himself as the offering to say, you know what? If you re well, and if you read the Old Testament, you'll see they weren't able to keep the prescription anyway. Right. It's no different than us getting an antibiotic, and we take it for three days. We're supposed to take it for 10, and guess what? Next time we get strep throat, the antibiotic is not as effective. Right. Very similar to the prescription for the offerings. Our sin continues to build, and we can do nothing about it, though man has tried in an, in an attempt by God. But forgiveness was offered in the Old Testament with the foreknowledge that God was going to complete and give a lasting, eternal sacrifice yes. in our stead, right? And we have to keep in our back pocket that this is God's story. He can write it and has written it as he saw fit, as the creator of all of it. It was all his idea yeah. anyway. Both Hebrews and Leviticus are true. Right. They're not a contradiction to one another. They are, as you say, you uh, pinned it in the beginning, and it's also very well laid out in the tool step into scripture, but it's a shadow and a fulfillment. Yeah. It was a, a here is how I want to be in immediate fellowship with you because yes. I love my creation, signed by God. Yeah. Man unable to live up to that covenant promise, that, that relationship that God offered, and he said, you know what? It's worth it. I'll do it myself. I'll fulfill it, yes, and I'll take care of it. So, just to kind of land this uh, this 
alleged contradiction. We're going to end our time in Hebrews chapter 7. Um, I love the book of Hebrews. I love that um, we get a lot of beautiful pictures of Jesus um, in this book. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. Such a high priest truly meets our need. And, and we're talking about Jesus himself, the sacrifice that is the fulfillment of bulls and goats that took away the sin of the people of Egypt or the people of Israel long ago. It says, such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sin and then for the sin of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as a high priest men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came after the law, appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. That's a very good summary that Hebrews and Leviticus are both true. They are the fulfillment and they're fulfilled in the son who was appointed as the high priest forever. Yes. And letting scripture interpret scripture helps us to hold those things in proper tension, that they're both true. They may sound contradictory, but the truth is that we just are misunderstanding. Yeah. And another place that we have to do this, we have to hold two things in proper tension so that we don't perceive contradiction that does not exist in the authoritative, inspired Word of God is in the area of grace and works. So to talk about this, I wanted to start us out in the book of Acts. There we have this account where the church elders at Jerusalem needed to settle a dispute about the requirements for salvation because a contradiction had been raised. Acts 15.1 says certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Mm -hmm. So this was a burdensome and confusing teaching for Mm -hmm. the Gentiles, and it was a contradiction because Paul was teaching that you did not have to be circumcised to be saved. And they're saying, but now there are some believers who are telling us that we do have to be circumcised to be saved. And, And as grown men... Obviously, this is not something that they wanted they want to the walk right out. They want the right answer. Yes, yeah. We want to, <laughs> so we want to know about this. Mm-hmm. So at this meeting of the Jerusalem Council, James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, also the author of the book of James, he speaks up and he refutes the need for, for physical circumcision. He says this in Acts 15, 19, citing scripture from the book of Amos. He says, It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So the final word on this dispute was they do not have to go undergo physical circumcision in order to come to Christ. And that was the word on it. But then in the book of Galatians, this dispute comes up again. And so Paul has to address it. Mm -hmm. And he addresses it in the same way that James settled it at the Jerusalem Council. Stacy mentioned this passage earlier, and I want to just repeat it here. Galatians 1, 6 through 7 I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. That's exactly what we're talking about here, is that contradictions are not inherent in the Holy Spirit-inspired teaching. Mm -hmm. Contradictions come when people throw us into confusions, sometimes unintentionally. Uh, What Paul accuses here is intentionally. They are throwing you into confusion. 
because they're teaching this same contradictory, burdensome command that's already been settled by the apostles who have roles of elders Mm -hmm. in the Jerusalem council. So in this scripture in Galatians, Paul lays out a defense for why he even has authority to speak on these matters. Paul knew the Jewish customs. He knew the Jewish law. He was an expert in the law. But after he was born again, after Christ appeared to him, after he was baptized, he was commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles, which means he had to lay down his commitment to the law and embrace the fulfillment of the law. And he says in Galatians 2.8, For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. So here you have two men with two different audiences, both apostles, and they're not teaching contradictory messages. Right. If there's a contradiction perceived, he's dispelling it and saying that's not what is happening here. And Stacy, last week in our episode, we dealt with the biblical requirements of an apostle. Mm-hmm. And listen, if you missed that episode, that's important for you to go back to because that's still relevant to this discussion. When someone is claiming authority mm-hmm. to speak the word of God, uh, you should not hear their word if there's a contradiction because they're making that claim. Because embedded in that claim, I would say there is a contradiction. There would have to be. Right. Just on its face, yeah, there are no living apostles. Right. So on its face, it's already in contradiction. Um, and we talked in that episode, uh, definitely worth going back to listen to what it means to prophesy, sure. to actually speak the word of God. Sure. Um, so go back and check that out. Yes, absolutely. So Paul, he goes on and he makes this defense against a false teaching that works of the Mosaic law lead to salvation. Uh And he says, to the contrary, Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, and now salvation is found in Christ alone, not in the physical acts that were demanded by the law. It's not through circumcision in the terms of the old covenant that anyone comes to Christ or remains in Christ. Galatians 2.21, though, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So to assert that a physical circumcision is needed is to negate the work of Christ. But rather than pointing toward this passage that we're reading now and others like it to show that old covenant works of the law were not how salvation was attained, this often gets misunderstood as a contradiction because it gets used as an argument that we really don't need to respond to the gospel in any physical way. Right, right. I think that a lot of times this is used to create hyper polar opposites within the church as well. Um, Because this alleged contradiction, whole doctrines are built around, well, I am under grace or I, if I, if I strive for righteousness, well, you must be under the law. And it creates a huge divide when really it's the delivery that has presented itself as a contradiction And it could all be dismantled from reading the entire text. Right. If every Christian read the entire Bible from front to back, this would not be so confusing. And I'll make a bold statement here, and and I hope you won't just check out of this podcast because you hear me say this, but doctrines like the idea of by grace alone, through faith alone. Right. And I would challenge you to find that in Scripture, Mm -hmm. to find that verbiage in Scripture, And let me be clear about what I'm saying here. While no work that we accomplish can atone for our sin, 
we do have to respond to the gospel in the way that scripture lays out for us. Absolutely. There is a response. There is. And just, be, you know, before you unveil the, this response that might feel like a bomb drop, I want to just point out what we've already established in these episodes, mm-hmm. that God never forgot what he already did. Yes. If he, even with sin and sacrifice, the mode he enter, he he created for fellowship, mm-hmm. he kept he he copied it, but made it perfect yes. in the New Testament. Perfected it. This is no different. The, the 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 space we're moving into right now is literally the same thing. God is going to copy what He did. This circumcision that set people apart as a marker, as He did all through the Old Testament. Yes, He's going to take it. And in the New Testament, under this covenant, this eternal relationship yes. promise, he's going to perfect it. But it is a, a perfection. It's it's like a copy yes. from the old. He didn't do away with it. Right. Right. He, right. He didn't do away with it. Just just hold on to that character of God when you think you have found a contradiction. Yes. Or you found a teaching that seems counter to what you've always been told. Right. Because, well, go ahead and tell us. What is that fulfillment? Well, There's a response that's required from us, right? And it's not a work of the law. And Paul spends so much time saying that we are not saved by works of the law. We are saved by faith, by putting our faith in Jesus. How is that decision expressed? Well, we can look to New Testament conversions. Mm -hmm. We can look to the apostles' teaching, and we find that that decision to put our faith in Christ is is not expressed in a hand raise Mm -hmm. or in repeating a particular prayer or in standing up and shouting out some words or in kneeling at an altar and and praying through. It's expressed in repenting of our sins. Through a circumcision. Through a circumcision, openly confessing Christ as Lord and, and being baptized into Jesus Christ. Paul calls this a new covenant circumcision. Right. He says it in this same book where he's talking about we're not saved by works of the law because if we were, if you Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to come to Christ, then Christ's death has been negated. That same Paul who just said that says this in Galatians 3, 26 and 27, same book. Mm-hmm. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Right. So what is Paul doing here? Because often this response, this particular expression of putting our faith in Christ, this baptism, this immersion in water, which is a physical act, right, is presented as if it's a work of the law. Right. Right? But, but who Paul, said that? Who said that? Right. Is Paul contradicting himself or is Paul contradicting James, who just said you don't have to be circumcised to be saved? Not at all. He's expressing a fulfillment, mm-hmm. a perfected version. I love how you said that of an old covenant temporary yeah. solution that God put in place with his foreknowledge that he had something better queued up. Right. And that was coming. Yeah. And just so we kind of put the seal, you know, we're talking about baptism, Holy Spirit, just so we put the seal on it. Jesus, before he did anything in his ministry, was baptized. And he says, um, he goes to John the Baptist and he tells him, I have to do this. I have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Yes. He is 
and you already explained it to us in the beginning, he's here to fulfill the law, yeah. not to abolish the law. No word, no letter is going to fall away from it. Yeah. So it's not that, it, it is that we are New Testament believers that are not under the law. Yes. But we are perfected by what Jesus did to fulfill the law. Yes. And we identify and do that when we participate in the circumcision, just as Jesus. Jesus would have had both of these circumcisions. That's right, yes. And so I think that that speaks to the dismounting that contradiction as an, a legitimate contradiction yeah. because he fulfilled it physically and through the righteousness that yes. he worked when he was here on earth. And if you will, go ahead and grab <coughs> Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, because I want us to look at that, because now let's look at the teaching of James. So this same James, who we said was there at this Jerusalem council, an elder in the Jerusalem church, half-brother of Jesus, in Acts chapter 15, we heard him settle a dispute and say, Gentiles need not be circumcised in order to come to Christ. So this same James, who just made the statement in Acts that works of the law are not required for salvation, mm -hmm. here's what he says in his book that he wrote, James 2, verse 24. He says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, Stacy, if you'll read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Yep, I'm happy to. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. This is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So earlier I made a statement that is maybe a little bit of an inflammatory statement, and I don't want it to be heard that way when right. I said I would challenge you to find this grace alone, faith alone doctrine in Scripture. And that's where it's sourced, mm -hmm. is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And, and those are Scriptures that often uh, feel contradictory to what we just read in James. And I think the reason is because we, in, in our uh, modern versions of Christianity, have attached the word alone that wasn't in that verse. To Ephesians. We read this on on, on auto dial, right? right? Yes. We read it for I've it is probably by, quoted it wrong before. Because it's it's on plaques. It's yeah. on evangelistic TV shows. It's we hear this and we we recall it to say, for it is by grace alone that you have been saved. Or I'm sorry, we recall it to say, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith alone. Right. But it was actually James that that uses that one word alone. Yes. And here is this major contradiction. Yeah, and, and, and he uses the full term, faith alone. But what he says is you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So what's James doing here? Is he contradicting himself? Is he contradicting Paul? Not at all. And this is why we need to read the whole Bible, because we don't need to build a doctrine just on James 2.24, just like we don't need to right. build a doctrine just on Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Mm -hmm. James here gives three examples of what that obedience looks like. What does he mean when he says that a person is considered righteous by what they do? Well, he's not talking about physical circumcision. Right. Because he said that that's not how you get there. Right. He already gave his judgment on that. Right. Here's the examples he gives in that very same chapter. The first one is he talks about providing for the needy. Secondly, he talks about Abraham offering Isaac on the altar 
in, in obedience to God and just blind obedience to him. Mm-hmm. And then he talks about Rahab lodging and protecting the spies at Jericho. And what do you notice about those three things? Is that none of those are works of the law. Right. None of those are works of the law. They're just acts of obedience. And here's where I want to land this, is that there is a required response. Mm -hmm. And it's not works of the law, but it is acts of obedience. Right. Those acts can't save us. But those acts are an essential response Mm -hmm. to our receiving the work that Jesus Christ has already done on our behalf. Absolutely. We couldn't die for our own sins. We couldn't make that atonement. That was shadowed in the Old Testament. Man failed miserably at it. Absolutely. They could not sacrifice enough to bring them into right relationship with God and stay there. But Jesus did it, Mm -hmm. and now we have a response. We have an obligation. It is not a work of the law. It is obedience to Christ. And when obedience to Christ as a required work is taught as not essential, right? that's a contradiction. It's a contradiction that Scripture doesn't present. Right, right. Man does. Right. And I think that is is the bottom line in that in yours, uh, that what you what you just unpacked with us, law and grace, uh, that that's those even in saying it, I hear it as a contradiction. Yes, I hear them as opposites. Yes, and they are exactly the same thing. They're both they're both a gift. Yes, um, created by God for us that we respond to. The yes. children of Israel had to respond when the law was given to them, and Moses sprinkled blood all over them. And what they say? Yes, we'll do everything the Lord says. They had a response to give. Yes, same is true to us when we see this gift of grace, and we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is our response. We will be obedient, even if it feels counter to what we've always been told. Right. And when we embrace this call to obedience, Scripture becomes even more captivating Yeah. because then we start seeing just the glory Mm -hmm. in this shadow and fulfillment in this perfect God who orchestrated this perfect plan Mm -hmm. and brought it to complete fulfillment and is going to bring it to full consummation one day. Yeah. And we don't want you to lose that. So there are not contradictions in the Bible. And I'll say this, ultimately, to claim the Bible has contradictions or to even look for contradictions in the Bible, I would hope that as Christ followers, we would not want to do that because that would undermine really the thing about God that is such a comfort and such a security for us. And that's his unchanging nature, right? Yeah. That he is the same, that he makes covenants and that he keeps them, that when he says he loves us, he doesn't change his mind, that when he says he forgives sin, he doesn't bring it back up again, and that when he says there's salvation for all people, he doesn't exclude some. That was the point. I think that's the big point of, between what James and Paul are, are, and yes. Peter are even talking yes. about. The point is that if circum and I don't want to rehash this whole circumcision topic, but that really was the underlining thing that was trying to be ushered in. It's for all people. And the Gentiles didn't have to go back to the mode that God had already fulfilled. 
But God is the same. His nature and character is enduring. He is consistent and constant. And so that is why that is the response for all of us Gentiles. That's right. As we participate in this new covenant that God has written with all humanity, it's almost like it was a test run, right? Yeah. The old covenant, you could consider a test run, but uh, the framework is still exactly the same. Acting in obedience to God by being baptized, by being immersed in the Christ, the way that Peter said, to remove our sins so that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit is not a contradiction to a faith response to Jesus. Right. It is a fulfillment of one that was shadowed for millennia prior. Absolutely, absolutely. And it was his idea. Yes. So the truthful nature and character of of God is certainly not something that we would hope to go looking for holes in. But even if we wanted to, we can't. We can't. Those were the two heavy hitters in contradictions. And so we were able to easily use scripture to understand scripture. But the certainty of a consistent and unchanging, loving, covenant-keeping God is the hope of humanity. Uh, We may have already said this in one of our episodes, uh, so forgive me for repeating myself, but it is worth uh, repetition. It would be a tragedy for you to live the rest of your life and not experience the consistent, unchanging work that God has done And all of it's recorded, totally accessible to you. What a tragedy it would be to live a whole life and not know those truths and miss the nature of God that we will all stand before one day. And so if you haven't found uh, your catalyst for that, I hope that that becomes it. If you struggle to to see past some of these contradictions that you have seen uh, as you've grown up in Western culture, um, I would just encourage you. I've had to do this as an adult Whose ever voice you hear as you read scripture, to eliminate that, whoever raised you in scripture, yeah. or maybe you 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 in, insert a different uh, voice as you read, just read out loud, read it for what it says, and read the whole thing in context. Yes. So that would be my call to you. Uh, certainly an amazing tool that you can use coming out this spring is Tina's book, Step Into Scripture, because on every single page, every prescribed day of reading, you read that passage of Scripture, and then she beautifully and easily points towards the fulfillments, the treasures that you can find all through Scripture, and the legwork of that is done. Uh, But we're going to look ahead, um, maybe in a couple weeks we're going to talk about, if you've already read it, why should I read it again? Right. Because those treasures are they're all they're still there, Constantly. waiting for you to find them. So I encourage you to uh, take a look at Step Into Scripture when it comes out. What day is it coming out? May nineteenth. May nineteenth. May nineteenth. Yeah, and we will share information about that once it becomes available for purchase. So thank you all so much for joining us today, and we will see you back next week and take on another objection, and we're going to overrule it because mm-hmm. you need to step into Scripture. See ya.